Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Today, we are joined by Emeka Wanu, Management Consultant at General Electric, where he helps teams craft and adapt delivery strategies. And welcome to the show, my friends. It's great to finally meet that person behind the very thoughtful Twitter account. Thank you very much. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Feels, feels really good to be here. Yes, Thank you very much for having me. It would be better if we're in person, but you know, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, let's talk about your background a little bit. Um, can you tell us what you've been working on at GE and other experiences you've had? And by the way, that's actually my first work experience as well. I, I did um, nine months almost at General Electric Silicones. That was many years ago. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's great. Uh, I've been at General Electric for 16 months now. Uh, as a consultant project control manager that's just basically helping teams um, reduce drag and help them focus on value creating tasks than um, being buried in other important but non-value adding tasks so <laughs> see how you're laughing but but it's true you know everything adds up but we just need to maintain focus and um, do the things that really really matter it, it's about um efficiency and effectiveness so it's not about doing everything but doing it the right way and that's one of the things um, i help both the project management and operations teams with is just um reducing drag in the system and just helping everyone focus on value adding um activities so um other experiences i have uh, well back in nigeria i'm a mechanical engineer by training though that didn't really stick because um Growing up, I'm from the eastern part of Nigeria, and uh, we're predominantly known for trading, going around, identifying needs in the market or in the cities where we live, go to places where these things are and just um, bring them back and sell for a profit and, you know, rinse and repeat. So that's what I grew up doing and then trained as a mechanical engineer, uh, walked a couple of places, um, spent time across uh, Nigeria and China for quite um, a couple of years, um, trading, sourcing goods, fostering business relationships. And then um, came to the UK, came to the business school um, in Aberdeen, and, and the rest is history. From there, got into Sunsob, a subsea engineering firm, um, helping the project management team. That was where I started and never looked back. From there, from Aberdeen, moved to London, worked uh, for Saipem. An Italian, an Italian um, multinational oil corporation where I helped. I was part of teams that developed um, full subsea fields um, across a couple of places, West Africa, Azerbaijan. And um, the most important um, projects for me there were in, was being part of a team that built two full subsea vessels, after which um, I moved to, to General Electric. So all my career, it's just been about helping teams uh, improve performance. So let's, let's talk about a little bit of that sort of moving, <clears throat> moving around and, and growing up in Nigeria and then now living in the UK. So, so you kind of came into this community within FinTech uh, as sort of an interesting um, way uh, coming in and I just want to talk about, you know, sort of the way when you move from place to place that you experience money in, in the relationship that you have with your day to day. 
talk about you know your earliest experiences with money and how that changed when you came to the UK. You know, you can downplay the impact of the change in culture. It's uh, but because the UK wasn't the first place um, I have lived um, away from Nigeria, I kind of expected changes, but how it was going to change, I didn't know. You know, what sort of change I'll expect, uh, I didn't really know how that was going to happen because when Nigeria is um, a heavy, heavy cash-based um, society, we, we deal in quite a lot of cash. And that's still, you'd be surprised at how much um, cash exchange hands in Nigeria on a daily basis. So that shift, when we were going to China as well, um, we still sort of do transactions, but we still carry cash. Then um, most times I normally stay in um, Guangyang Zilu. Um, that's in the Guangdong province. So we, you know, you have to take the US dollar, go from Naira to the US dollar. You go to somewhere, check exchange rates. You just start changing money little by little. You spend, you change, you come back until, you know, we start sending money um, through customers' accounts and then start taking credit cards and stuff. On an individual basis, it's it's a bit manageable, you know, but when you start talking about business, cross-border transactions, that it becomes it becomes really difficult because the cost of moving money, um, how long it will take to go from your bank, the sort of paperwork you need to do, and, and all that. And till today, a lot of people, a lot of traders in the sort of small markets where I grew up, you know, local markets still take cash. They still they still take cash. You still you find people go to it, it's intriguing how these things happen. You find people go to airport, go to airports. And then if you see someone you know where they trade, you can just tell them, take this money. When you get to China, call this number, give it to this person, tell them it's from me. It, it works. And you know why it works? Because there's trust. And then they know there's this sort of insurance policy. They know where your shop is. You will come back. You've got goods. I can, if, if you don't give my money to who you're supposed to give it to, I just go to your shop and take goods what my money. So it, it's the sort of thing um, that the change in the UK is completely uh, different. In the UK, you've got to go to the bank, register cards, you can't carry. It just doesn't work carrying cash around in, in the UK. You know, you've got your bank card, ATM, everywhere you go to they accept card transactions. You go on the internet, it's, it's easy. I think the difference is in infrastructure you go across places the the infrastructure makes a lot of difference and that determines what you do wherever you go to i like that perspective and and i find myself nodding furiously because i well the last 18 months as i I use cash too, especially when when I go um, when I go home to Hong Kong. I always have cash when I travel to um, the UK or to overseas. I always take cash, um, and 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 I relate to what you talk about trust, right? There's something inherent about trusting someone, and I still teach my kids money with with um, cash, hardcore cash. So the tooth fairy comes in cash. 
um, for Chinese New Year, we give cash. Um, I, I think eventually I'll transition them to digital money, but I'm not ready yet. <laughs> so talk about talk about experience, right? So let's take this for a spin. Um, you mentioned a little bit about how the infrastructure between the different countries, um, you know, the money, how how we handle money is is different. You talk a little bit about your experience at General Electric um, and as an engineer by trade. So I'm going to ask you something about engineering. And the opposite of that is human-centered design thinking, right? Which is a little bit different than how we typically develop tech applications. We develop applications in, in the old days is based on, well, we want XYZ features because we think this is cool, actually, a lot of companies still do that. But in, in human design thinking, we switch it and think about putting consumer and the end user in the center of it all, right? We designed technology around what we think they will need. So from that perspective, what do you feel is missing from things that you use uh, most frequently, especially in, in banking and fintech? I, I think what, what's really missing is context who, who it, it, it's context, you know, you, you, you find out that um, a lot of these things are one size fit all. So it, it sort of takes you back to who is this actually built for? Is this built for me? Is this about the customer or is it about the business? You know, in, I, I always say um, profit should be, um, you know, a part of the business model, but it shouldn't be central to the work people do. You, 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 you want to make profit, you know, you want to build something that will sell, you want to build something people can adopt as wide as possible, but you still need to try and solve a problem with it. And, and this is something I think um, FinTech is doing. And in the context of um, open banking, for example, you, you, get, you see different, people come in and take a one-size-fits-all product and drill down into specifics about these things. And at the end, you get products that are context-specific. You know, if you look at, for example, um, credits, uh, fronted, uh, I think, um, get fronted, um, London, a new London fintech that's um, given in their position for people who want to rent a house, you know? They've gone beyond using open banking. They are looking beyond the traditional credit score. For one reason or the other, my score may be bad, which may not necessarily mean that I cannot afford what I'm asking for. But it, are there products in the market that have context for people like me? Are there specific? Are there products in the market that actually drill down to specifics? So what I think Fronted does is take your transaction data and look beyond, you know, and look beyond the traditional credit score. So you may not have a good credit score, but what you're asking for is affordable. And um, by default, you should get it. But it requires someone looking beyond the surface, someone looking beyond the traditional um, metrics that everyone looks at to say, okay, you can have it or you cannot. So it's about drilling down to specifics and not just broad market segments. And I think sometimes it's, it's lost in translation when we try to engineer a solution uh, to be efficient. 
and to sort of uh, extract something in that process. When you when you talk about you know moving money and the agent relationship between you know what had happened in person in markets like Nigeria, where money would exchange hands in person across borders, that's really what TransferWise now Wise really started as. <clears throat> it started as I'm going to give you money and someone's going to move it across border and then it's going to exchange hands. And that's how they sort of got around some of that digital, um, you know, extraction of, of profit. Yeah. And, you know, you, you talk a little bit on Twitter about this the other day when we were talking about open banking and open finance and you put it in this perspective, you said uh, open banking is a way to allow other businesses to leverage customers' banking data to build product and service offerings and create value for them. You said that transaction data is a treasure. What better way to know someone than when they earn and what they spend money on? So let, let's talk about that a little bit more. What are, what are some other examples of, of what you see and, and some of the other opportunities around that consumer data and open banking? What do you think about that? I, I think um, leaving, leaving product innovation to the customers um, is, uh, is an own goal. You know, when people say um, they want to be customer centric, you you need to look at how educated is the customer. An educated customer is a much better buyer than one that does not really understand the possibilities of what your technology can do or the capabilities. Say, say for example, now I don't think people compare the the user experience they get from, they, they, they don't compare within sectors anymore. Everyone compares the, the experience they get with how they are treated when they shop in Amazon. You know, big tech is setting a new standard. So if I know where you, when you earn money, where you spend it on and build a pattern on what and how you spend your money on, I think I'm in a position to actually now compare products and um, offer you better services and better value than you would do yourself. And this is down to industry knowledge. You know, when we talk about insurance, for example, if I look at your transaction data, you have a home insurance. I'd say that just home insurance for 20 pounds. And then I look within, you pay your phone insurance for 10 pounds. You may not really know. It depends on how um, how much invested you're in, in in that case to know that you could find a product that your home insurance is, um, your telephone insurance is embedded into your home insurance. It takes, it takes industry knowledge. So the more aware you are, the more educated people are, then the more they are in a better position to actually say the product fits them best. But I think that should be the business of the business to identify the market gaps using the data and plug it for the customers. You know, one of the things I, I find really fascinating about this idea of open banking, open data, and sort of allowing the consumer to kind of how you characterized it doing the innovation for themselves is that the more sort of open and interchangeable a system is the more that the consumer the individual the family has choices 
that don't necessarily sort of lock them into a walled garden of someone else's profitability. And that's, you know, part of where I think we're going is that people will be able to kind of go in any direction. And, and hopefully, you know, we will get to a point where we kind of break through that wall where our own personal data and what it really means to us somehow is translatable to the value that we need and a little bit less about the extraction of what the corporation needs in exchange. So, so when you, when you look at, you know, the, the human portion of, of that innovation, um, needs are pretty basic when it comes to food, water, and shelter. We talk about that a lot in the book, but do you think that, you know, we could really break through these large sort of corporate business models so that people can start to control a little bit more of that? I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic we can. I think, you know, in, in highly regulated sectors, um, there's limitations to how much um, you can innovate or there are tenets to, you know, there, there are set boundaries, but I believe we're entering an era where people don't have to pay for what they don't use. You know, people, the, the capability for customers to cherry pick what they need, not just what they need, but for when they need it. Again, it's things like um, insurance on demand. You don't have to pay for insurance a whole year. I think there are um, businesses offering you things for when you need them. Now, we would soon start to see people get specific bank accounts, and it's already happening, specific bank accounts for specific needs. You know, people go to, just for, for the budgeting capabilities, Neo banks and fintechs are like winning people over. You know, you you get your financial dashboard, you're spending money. I think incumbents still have the advantage of um, a large project portfolio when we start talking about investing and things. And people, it, it's not easy to break relationships. You know, however, it doesn't matter what you're offering me today. It's not. It's not like I'm just going to walk away from my bank that I've had a relationship, even though it's not personalized kind of relationship, but they've not really done me any harm in the past 10, 20 years. The problem here is that they could do much more for me. They could, you know, let's let's use the terms most people uh, people like to use is they could leave a, a little money on the table for the betterment of customers. If if um, I don't know if that passes the message across, you know, they could leave a little bit of money on the table for improved financial wellness. They could do a bit more for financial literacy, but it's about profit making, isn't it? You know, profit is central to the business model, and then every other thing is um, nice to have. But I think um, with the growth of um, ESGs and things. We're moving beyond where, you know, profit is the main um, measure of um, a business's um, contribution to the society and to the customer. It's 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 beginning to change. I'm I'm optimistic about about that. I like your optimism. We 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 are seeing some changes. 
Um, so for example, recently we see more banks that are coming out and saying, you know what, we're going to slowly start shifting away some of the fees we're collecting. Um, there are some banks that says we're going to give consumers more tools so they know when overdraft, they are going to overdraft to help them avoid the fees. But, you know, the cynical side of me is, are they doing it because they're under a lot of pressure right now? Or are they going to end up switching to other products and find different ways to create different kinds of fees for consumers? Or are they really changing because they are they really do believe in, you know, consumer financial well-being in the end? I think that remains to be seen. Um, the, the models are constantly changing, I think that's for sure. So talk about change. Um, you have mentioned you lived in different parts of the world um, and you have experienced lives in, in different places, how it's like to work and live in different cultures. As a global citizen, I'm curious to know what stands out to you at most in terms of, you know, money experience, fintech development and, and how consumers are adapting um, these different um, ways of 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 um, money in all these different markets. Yeah, I think what really stands out is um, the varying levels of adoption, and um, the pace of innovation as well. You know, I think most of this could be tied down to the culture on one side, and then regulation on the other end. So the the varying levels of um, of um, innovation and the adoption. Uh, when you look at I think in, in Europe, it, it's now um, gradual progress. You know, um, novelty, I don't know if it's, it's gradual progress, but when you go back to places like Nigeria, where there's, where we are today, you know, very little makes more impact. And recently it's shown that people are willing, if you build something that creates value, people are willing to adopt. And as the infrastructure improves, as the awareness improves and the trust starts growing, we would see that shift. Say, for example, uh, back at home, even my accounts at home, I still get charged um, transaction fees. I still get charged maintenance fees. You know, you, you, you get all sorts of fees. Um, you get charged for using the ATM. If you don't want to do that, you still have to deal with maybe the agent network as well. When when you send money back home, they, they have to go collect it from an agent. Why is that so? I think one of the reasons for me is the the lack of awareness that they can download an app, you know, and do this directly to the bank. Like before now, Western Union, you can pay directly to the bank or, you know, the, the receiver goes to an agent and pick up the money. But just because of the mindset and um, I'd say financial literacy as well, they just don't want stories. They don't know what they'll be asked in a bank. You know, I know you walk into a bank and you meet two kinds of people, people looking for reasons not to honor your check because they want to verify and make sure that the signature is correct. You know, that the signature one line is not longer than the other and people looking to help you and then make the service and the transaction seamless you know so that's that's one one element of it and look at the pace of adoption and um, innovation in asia in china for example some places 
um, it, people tell you, oh, I'm old. But if you look at places like China, it, it's age agnostic. It doesn't really matter. Age, uh, age seems to disappear from the equation, kind of. So that, that line is being blurred gradually that, you know, the, the pace of adoption is just what really, really fascinates me as you go from place to place. You know, different people, different cultures, and different attitudes towards um, adoption. That's that's just one thing I always look out for. Yeah, it it, it reminds me of something somebody said recently when we talk about um, adopting, you know, fintech. Um, and, and why is it so that people in China, for example, seems to be more inclined to take it up? Someone said, you know, if you look at the past 10 years in terms of tech progress, it has changed so much more drastically in countries like China compared to the US, right? And so yep. people, regardless of age, they've seen what technology can do for their livelihood. They have seen the power of it, being able to change their world upside down for good in, in a lot of cases. And so they're more willing and open to try it because they've witnessed it. Versus in here, we have a system, we have a legacy system, good or bad, it works. And so, you know, the pain of of moving away from it and trying something new is- Inertia. Yeah, right? It's inertia. Yeah. <laughs> inertia, it's simple, you know, when you have something existing, it, it sort of um, bogs you down. Uh, you have a lot of decisions to make when you want to make that change and that transition from one thing to another, because we know not all changes are really positive. You know, like uh, I, I view innovation as value neutral. The whole idea of innovating is to try something new, but the end goal is to seek improvement. If you try something new, and it doesn't work, you know, you're, you're innovative, but I'm not sure the end goal is achieved. So I think that inertia, when you've got something existing, it's a lot more difficult to move from that to another because you have to maintain this old thing and build a new one. And the question becomes, what do you adopt? Do we build a new thing the old way, which, or do we build an old thing the new way? You know, so th there are very many ways to look at this. I, I, for one, think if we're building the new thing, there needs to be a shift from the old one such that it creates more value. And and one of the reasons why I think um, places like China, um, the adoption is increasing is in the design. It's, it's more in the design. You know, QR codes, scan your code, you go. It, it's it's the, This is where user experiences come into play. How many buttons do I have to punch to get this done? How many things do I need to download? How many screens do I need to go through? Uh, some people, you know, I'm, I'm like that sometimes. Come on, this is just going to take time. I'll do it the old fashioned way. So if you consider convenience on top of, you know, the security and the trust element of money, you, you, would, you would get people's transition easily. It's, it's about design, in my opinion design plays a massive role. I like that. Innovation is value neutral. Um, why do we innovate unless we improve? 
So, so we're talking to Emeka Nwanu. Uh, and I just want to say that, you know, you have been sort of chiming in and interacting on, on Twitter and uh, having now met you at least, you know, sort of virtually here in this forum, um, you're as thoughtful in person as you are across the words that you share. So it's nice to see, you know, someone who, who grew up as an engineer um, sort of have that humanity at its heart. Um, I want to kind of ask this last question about consumer experiences again and sort of talk about human business models just a little bit. What, what gets you most excited about, you know, sort of where technology is going and, and how things are changing and how we could make things more inclusive? When you think about the future, what, what gives you hope? Uh, that's very kind of you, Brad. So I think um, what really gives me hope for the future is the sort of conversations we're having today. That, that agreement that we need to build technologies that work for all. The fact that we're having that conversation today alludes to the fact that we all agree that we need to do more. We agree that we can be better, we can do better. We, we agree, you know, I think um, the first step to solving a problem is defining it. We agree that the technologies we have today could be a lot more inclusive. It could be a lot more accessible and it could be a lot more affordable because when when people this is one thing that uh, fascinates me about fintech and the opportunities affordability and accessibility it's it's made things that were sort of reserved for the elite or a different upper class in the society it's made them available Say, for example, in Nigeria, it's one of them in your book. I think it's um, Piggy Vest. You know, it sort of um, helped people move. It, it sort of helped people improve the savings culture. And um, it's made people think about the concept and idea of saving. You know, so I, I think that element of it, uh, another one, Rise Vest, is making it possible for people to invest. You know, investment before you think about investments is um, maybe from, from my background, you know, from where I grew up, yes, before you start thinking about investing, you've got to look at meeting your daily needs first. But now they've sort of passed that message across that to invest, you don't have to be a millionaire, you don't have to be rich, you can invest as little as possible. And this little steps just cost ripples. You know, you now they now use referral programs. So I'm, um, I'm quite. Um, what really gives me hope for the future is the sort of discussions we're having today, openly. I like that. And thank you so much for joining us today for a wonderful chat. I think this is a perfect way to open up our morning. Um, it's, it's a pleasure. It. Thank you, and uh, hopefully we will be able to eventually see you across the pond. Um, but thank you. <laughs> yes, the big pond that we have. Imagine the in person stuff. Yes, yes, eventually, can't, can't slowly. Wait. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Emeka. And for all of you, thank you for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>